Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with SpeedwayMedia.com, my co-host John Harlow, as we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. This week, there's a lot to talk about. We review the Bojangles Southern 500 here, and also we talk about the incident between John Hunter Nemechek and Cole Custer. Uh, we preview the last final regular race in the regular season at Richmond. We go all that and more coming up here on Talking in Circles tonight. It's going to be a great show. But first off, we start off with what was the Bojangles Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway in Darlington, South Carolina. Martin Trix Jr. won his fifth career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series victory, his second this year. He's won, he won a Coca-Cola 600 in May, wins this, the Southern 500 this year. And, John, he was one inch away from winning the Daytona 500, which, since we're going to go throwback weekend, meant he was one inch away from winning the Winston Million. Your thoughts on the Bojangles Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway? I thought it was a pretty good race. Um, The track wore out like it always does. It was interesting to see how a lot of them did because unlike most of the time with the way Darlington operates, there was a low groove for once. I mean, you look at Harvick, the way he ran, and he lit up the place most of the night leading 234 laps, but he was running middle to the bottom most of the night. He'd go up if he had to get around lap traffic, but he was running the middle, and there were other people down low. And normally at Darlington, the closer you are to the wall, the faster you go. You're trying to find that extra quarter-inch of grip that's up there, and that's where the that's where you end up with the stripe. But there were other people driving low. There was passing throughout the race. Um, Harvick was the story of the night because – he drove. He was the class of the field, but his pit crew let him down again. I mean, one stop, the one where he went from first to fifteenth, a jack. I mean, the uh, air gun broke. Not a whole lot you can do about that. But the Harvick team went out and said, "Okay, we have stunk on pit road this year. They probably should have six or seven wins." So they switched the front tire changer and front tire carrier from Danica's team, put it on Harvick's team, and hoped to make it better. Um, there were some. Interesting moments when Stewart punted Brian Scott. There was Keselowski and Kyle Busch tapping each other, and Kyle Busch made a heck of a save. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was a really good race. I love Darlington, always have, probably always will, because no matter what you're doing, you have to eventually race the racetrack. There's four, 39 other competitors against you. But the 40th competitor is the one you really got to work, watch out for, and it's the lady in black, and she will come out and bite you. It was a great race. Absolutely, and I think we saw a lot of passing. And, you know, it was funny you mentioned about Kevin Harvick. You know, Martin Tricks Jr.'s team, if you listen to him in Victor Lane, it almost sounded like they were, they were very surprised to be there, like they stole this one. They were like, man, you know, within the great car tonight, we're not that thrilled with how the car ran, but we were able to get some track position, and, you know, the clean air really helped us, and they were able to get to the lead, and that really helped them. Uh, and I think, you know, they were they were almost felt guilty being in victory lane, but how many times have we seen that 7018 this year, you know, have the fastest race car and something stupid happens to him like we had at Kansas when he led basically every lap and had a lug nut get caught between the wheel and the hub and he had to pit and he lost all his track position. 
there was so much going on there that, it, it, you know, going on with that team, that great that he still won. He deserves to still one. But you're right. Listen, Kevin Harvick was the class of the field. He dominated the race, was phenomenal all day long. And, you know, unfortunately, his pit crew, you could say, lost his form. He also bounced it off the wall. But, you know, a lot of people are kind of going, well, if he bounced it off the wall, do you really win the, the pit crew because he messed up as a driver? Well, you know, he, if he doesn't lose his track position there, he probably – He's not pushing you know, it. <laughs> yeah, he's pushing it right there to not lose his track position. So, absolutely, uh, you, you can blame it on the pit crew. And I, and I do feel bad for those guys. They work hard. Generally, when everything goes right, it seems like that team's very fast on pit road. But JGR right now has something on pit road that these, that these other teams don't have, whether it's faster air guns, whether it's how they, how they do things. Um, and I think it's making teams scramble. Do I think it was a little bit premature that Harvick made this move? Yes, because I think the biggest problem with Harvick's race Sunday was the fact, when you mentioned, his air gun got jammed. There was a broken air gun on the pit road. Um, and if they're pitting a 10 car, you kind of have to sit there and go, why went they on the four already? Because you knew the four coming into the year was a championship contender already. You would want your best people there. So maybe these guys that are moving from the 10 team to the four team aren't the best people. So you really have to kind of figure out, wonder if this was a premature move or not uh, as far as Kevin Harvick goes. Uh, but, you know, this could be something that just makes his fans and, and, and his sponsors a little bit happy here as they, as they get forward and get ready for the chase. I think the move is at the right time. You're doing it at Richmond. Nothing matters at Richmond to Kevin Harvick. He'd love to win the race and get the extra three points going into the chase. But in reality, nothing matters. They can go out and finish 40th. Nobody gives a damn. They want to go out and win. But this is a practice session. They're going to have five, six, seven pit stops throughout the night, depending how the wrecks and things go Saturday night at Richmond. They want to see how this guy performs under pressure with the rest of that four team. If this guy from Danica's team comes out and lays an egg, who knows? The guy they've switched over to Danica may be back next week. I mean, you can't tell. The one thing that, if you remember, it was – the championship year two years ago, they basically took Tony's crew, put them with Harvick this week before at Richmond so they could be ready for the chase and work together with Harvick and everything like that. And it worked, and they won a championship. And who knows, this one switch may be what did it because the one thing you looked at, seeing the pit stops whenever they were showing the side-by-sides, the front tire changer and the front tire carrier were about a quarter second behind the rear guy. So there was a problem there. I think it's being addressed. I mean, Harvick basically has come to the point where, I mean, he said flat out, I've tried being the cheerleader, I've tried being the hard ass, I've tried being the tough guy. I don't know what to do, so I just let loose. And you don't blame him. He had the class of the field. He doesn't hit the wall without those bad pit stops because he's not pushing to catch Martin Truex because he's probably three to four seconds in front of him. And then he's yep. racing the racetrack and should have no problem and coast to victory. But the pit crew put him back, put him behind, and that was a problem there. I think, I mean, like I said, we'll see this week. This is a chance to find out if this guy has it. If not, maybe the other guy, they, one they swapped out who went, who's at Danica's team now, maybe he's back on the car. Or maybe it's somebody else because Stuart Haas has other pit crews Um hitting other cars so you never know what could happen but i think this is a good move that will if anything maybe give harvick a little peace of mind absolutely 
917-889-8280 here if you want to call in and join the show on Talking in Circles. Give us any opinion, and we got some great topics coming up. Obviously, uh, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about the real hot topic of the weekend. A lot of opinions on the John Hunter, Nemechek, Cole Custer situation at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park on Sunday before the NASCAR Spring Cup Series race, but we'll dive into that a little bit later. More here on from Darlington. I'll give you the top ten real quick. It was 2X, Kevin Harvick was second. Then it was Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Matt Kenseth, who had a solid day. Casey Kane, a solid day for him. Ryan Newman, Brad Keselowski, and Chase Elliott in the top ten. Chase ran pretty well as well. But, you know, there were some notables, John, who kind of struggled all day, who kind of struggled. I thought Jimmy Johnson, the 48 team, saw, showed speed early on. But, man, there was a penalty on pit road that really hurt that team. Uh, they, they had to do a pass-through penalty under green. Uh, it looked like one of Johnson's, I, I believe it was a rear tire carrier, I'm, and I'm sorry if I'm incorrect on that, leaned on the rear end of the race car. He also pulled out a, a side skirt on the 48 car during a pit stop. NASCAR saw that, said we don't like that, made him do a pass-through penalty. Uh, about, 20, about 40 laps later, uh, Jimmy Johnson staying into the outside wall. Um, so a, a tough day for Jimmy Johnson and his 48 team at Darlington as well, John. It was. And I was listening to Jim and Chocolate on Monday, and they had uh, Jimmy Spotter on. And he couldn't really say or give an idea of what they were doing on pit road to the car, but NASCAR thought it was a um, unapproved adjustment on pit road, brought them back, made them fix whatever they did, and then they had the pass-through penalty. They got two laps, took a wave around, and Johnson was running good, but I mean, how often do you ever see, and that's one of the things where Darlington is Darlington, Johnson was a foot, two feet off the car above him. He was in a low groove and just lost it on his own. Nobody touched him, nobody near him to take the air off the rear spoiler. Johnson just lost it, and that doesn't happen. That shows you how tough Darlington is when you got six-time, who is known for his car control, likes a loose race car, just went around in a circle out of nowhere. Yeah, and in another situation where you can say maybe a driver was pushing a little too hard to work himself back into the field. I mean, he lost the lap there um, and trying to get back up to the front to, to, to do well. And uh, it was unfortunate. You have to sit there and wonder, you know, how much does that really do to a race car and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's something I'm going to dive into a little bit later with the Ryan Newman penalties, which Ryan Newman was kind of like 15 points after the Southern 500 as well. Um, but, you know, Kurt Busch had a tough day where Paul Menard was underneath him running for position, position and Menard blew right rear tire and just come up and slid into Kurt Busch. So Kurt Busch's chances at winning the Southern 500 were gone. But Kurt really, I thought he'd have a better showing. They weren't really that good. They were maybe a, a barely a top-10 car. They struggled pretty much all night until the wreck. So uh, a tough day for him. But you brought this up earlier, John. An interesting situation between Tony Stewart and Brian Scott on lap 205. Stewart uh, eventually blew up on lap 319, ending his day in the 35th spot. But Scott was four laps down. He was running with uh, Stewart. And... Stewart was about, if I had to take a guess, 12th to 15th, somewhere around there on the lead lap. But I think Scott just pitted, had fresher tires, was running, was running with Stewart. And uh, I guess it got a little crowded off of a off of, off of corner, and Stewart didn't like that too much and turned right into the 44 car and, and spun him into the inside wall. Not the most um, classy move by Tony Stewart there, but it, and I think, John, the way I look at it is if that was for the win, I felt, totally think, NASCAR handles this differently than they would have if it 
since it was Brian Scott and Brian Scott was running 33rd. Um, I totally think that that would be frowned upon it, and we'd be talking about this more if that was for a even a top 10 spot towards the end of that race. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, Stewart kind of got his payback, I guess you could say, from the racing gods at 319 and blowing his engine. But kind of an interesting deal between Scott and Stewart there. I thought, I mean, and one of the things I was watching uh, NASCAR America on Monday night, and Vickers brought it up that nobody, you see what happened coming out of that turn. You don't know what happened the lap or two before. And Brian Scott even said, I was struggling. I was trying to wave him around to the inside and everything. The, pro, the One of the things is, too wide going through turn two at Darlington is a recipe for trouble. And if you're four laps down, you get out of the way of the lead cars. And that's one of the things that probably Stewart and Brian Vickers even said it. He said, Tony Stewart is the blocking police. If he thinks you are in his way, he will punch you. It's been that way for the last 15 years that Smoke's been running in cup. Stewart has been known to punt people, and Brian Scott was no different. He even said, I pointed out the finger, so he pointed the finger to wave him by, and he said, Stewart probably thought he gave me the finger. And But the funny part is, and this is classic Tony Stewart, where it's, they even said about it, what he did was probably wrong, but his reaction is something we're going to miss because when they caught up to him after, the, after he uh, blew his engine in, and they asked him about the Brian Scott incident. He goes, well, he wrecked. <laughs> yeah. There's that. Okay, Tony, thanks. <laughs> I mean, it, it was the Chester Cat sitting there. I mean, it could have uh, – I mean, you never – put a car in a wall always can be worse than it turns out to be. But mm-hmm. it was just funny the way it came off. And it was not so subtle the way he did it. And – in the past, I think if it wouldn't have been Tony Stewart's last year this close, he probably would have gotten fined more or something like that because it's not much different than he did at Daytona with Matt Kenseth years ago. Right. I mean, the oh, same yeah, move, yeah, yeah. you've seen it. So that's where the thing yeah. I think NASCAR is probably like, okay, he's been on his best behavior this year. Even Booger Rabbit said, well, it took you 25, 25 races to get called to the hauler. I think it's a new league record. Yeah, and actually, listen, I, I wasn't in love with that move. I thought that was kind of, uh, you know, a move that could have been avoided. There was no need for a caution there. It could have been avoided. But, you know, and again, I think if that's, a, if that's with three to go at the end of a race, you know, maybe NASCAR handles that a little bit differently than what they did with in the middle of the race. Um, I don't think there will be any retaliation from Brian Scott at all. Um, but, you know, it was again, it was a deal that could have been avoided, but, you know, Tony ended up, like I said, finishing 35th due to a bone engine, so it was kind of like, I guess you can swallow it a little bit if you're a Brian Scott fan or, or somebody who didn't really like what Tony did because of the fact that, well, Tony had a bad day too. But the big story coming out of Darlington was uh, the penalties that were handed down yesterday to Ryan Newman and Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson and Ryan Newman failed laser post-race inspection. Um, the 31 team and Ryan Newman were, were issued both Teams, the 42 and the 31, excuse me, were issued P3 penalties. Newman's team was docked 15 points, and his crew chief, Luke Lambert, was fined $25,000. Um, Newman went from seven points out in the chase to 22 points out in the chase right now as we get ready 
to go here with one race to go at Richmond. It looks, John, and in the penalty, same deal with with, um, with Larson, 15 points, and, it's, and Chad Johnson was fined $22,500. Um, so, but the penalty doesn't really hurt Kyle Larson all that much, obviously because he's in the chase and he and his win at Michigan gets him in there. But Ryan Newman, this penalty really hurts that team. This is the second time they they received a penalty like this where they got a points penalty. They had something go wrong in Atlanta. Newman and his team said they had some damage on the right side of the race car. That's why they didn't pass laser inspection. But it makes you wonder, John, why the RCR did not appeal this weekend uh, if that was the case. What are your thoughts here on these penalties to Newman and Larson? I was listening to Ricky Craven on Moody, I want to say yesterday, and they were talking about the penalties and everything. And some of it I don't get. And it's interesting. It's a it's a real out of the way thinking. Probably these cars are inspected before qualifying. These cars are inspected before the race. The only thing they can do, they have a few adjustments they can make. You can see every move they make on camera. They pull the cars in if they think they pull a fender out or bump into a fender or something, and they penalize them. You're going to see what happens, any adjustments made by this camera system. If you pass pre-race inspection, you're good. Whatever you do during the race, they're going to figure it out. It shouldn't be one of these things. I mean, they already penalized them before the race for unapproved adjustments. So they had something wrong before the race, and they let them in, and they said mm-hmm. we're fine. They were in the tolerance. If the uh, explanation of Richard Childress is correct, where they did hit the wall a little bit, and there was a rear toe issue, NASCAR does never say what the problem was. They just said, here's the penalty. NASCAR did not release that there was a toe issue with Ryan Newman's car. NASCAR did not say what happened to Kyle Larson's car. They just said, P3 penalty, here's 15,000 bucks and 15, or 25,000 bucks and 15 points. It's enough to know that there's a, a penalty, but they don't, they're not transparent enough. And they don't say, could this make a difference in the car? And that's where I think the problem is. It took away any drama that's going to happen Saturday night at Richmond. The chase is set right now unless uh, Chris Buescher blows an engine on the third lap and finishes 40th. The chase is Mm -hmm. set tonight because there's no way Newman is going to finish 22 positions ahead of Jamie McMurray unless Jamie McMurray blows an engine on the third lap. Right, or unless Newman... Has a has a weekend where you know RCR hasn't won a race in over almost two years now, and Newman somehow figures out a way to pull off a win. That's that's the only other scenario too. And it's been 113 races since Newman's been in victory lane. The right. last time was at Indy, before even went, back when he was driving for SHR. Yeah, and 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 I understand. I hear your point on. Uh, I understand it on post race inspection because it just seems like you can see everything, but. Man, there's a lot of things to me that can go on between, uh, as far as what happens between the car getting pushed even from inspection to the grid um, that we might not be able to see, whether they shift somehow, be able to shift the weight somehow and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not entirely in love with the fact that we wouldn't have post-race inspection. Um, but I do think these cars are 
you know, I don't, I don't like the fact that we have a laser inspection. These cars are inspected to, with a fine-tooth comb. I don't really like that. I don't think it helps the sport at all. But, you know, it's interesting how Kyle Larson blows off his fenders, and then a week you know, at Michigan, and a week later he gets suspended, he gets penalized for failing laser inspection. It makes you wonder if Larson might have had the same issue at Michigan, but because it was his first race, was able to blow off his fenders, and NASCAR didn't seem to care. And Ryan Newman gets a similar penalty, and this hurts Newman a lot more than, than Kyle Larson. You know, it just it makes you wonder. And that's why I don't like the fact that we see these uh, burnouts blowing off rear fenders of these race cars. Uh, I thought that I, I would like to see that end. And I hope NASCAR, by the time we get to Chicagoland in the next week or so, say, you know what, we don't want to see that at all anymore. We want it to stop. Uh, we'd love you to burn out, but we don't want you burning out and burning the fenders off the car. There'll be repercussions for it because there should be. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. One other thing I want to touch on. Before I let you have your last say in Darlington, Ryan Blaney was fined $1,000 this weekend as well. Blaney went out on Saturday without gloves on uh, in his David Pearson tribute car. He thought it would be cool, kind of a throwback thing to go out with glo- without gloves on. NASCAR banged him for a $1,000 fine for safety issues as well, so keep that in mind uh, if you're curious on why Ryan Blaney, if you saw why Ryan Blaney was fined, it was $1,000 and it was for that. Um, your thoughts here, John Harlow, before we move on, uh, on a cup race at Darlington. Uh, again, it was a great race. I think the post-race penalties, unless NASCAR is transparent and say this is what the penalty is, this is the advantage that they had, who, it's always going to be a conspiracy theory. How do we know that Newman was the only one who failed laser inspection? Do all 40 cars go through the laser at the end of the race? No. And if they do... What, I mean, can you show the readings for everybody? I mean, that's one of the things that NASCAR is good at. They're good at partial transparency. They're not going to give you the, they're not going to open the whole book. And it, it just cries conspiracy theory. But the one thing that it did, it ruined Saturday night. I was looking forward to seeing how Newman and McMurray attacked the track on Saturday night. I was looking to see how Chris Buescher does what he has to do to make sure he maintains 30th. He should be fine maintaining 30th, but the race for 14th isn't even a race anymore because Newman's 22 points back. And unless Newman goes out and puts um, McMurray in the wall, but then again, Stewart could put McMurray in the wall the way their year's been. But, I mean, I don't, I don't see it. The chase is set now, and it ruined any drama that they could have had Saturday night. You're correct on that. I absolutely did. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to call in and join Talking in Circles, Clayton Coldwell, John Harlow with you here tonight. Um, quick rundown here real quick of the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Darlington Raceway. Elliott Sadler won his 12th race, a great run by Elliott Sadler. And, John, it was nice to see somebody other than Toyota's win and the Xfinity Series and Kyle Busch. Um, you know, he was able to fight off Denny Hamlin at Darlington and win the race, but and a great job by Elliott Sadler there. Almost choked, coughed it away, though, there in the closing stages of that race. But uh, real quick, what were your thoughts on the Xfinity Series race and Elliott Sadler's win at Darlington on Saturday? It was nice to see Sadler win. I think it was cool that in the middle of his TV interview, Junior calls him and he stops the interview and talks to Junior. Um, It showed one main financial that they made a smart move by staying with Sadler in Junior Motorsports. Uh, Sadler, who's had the point lead for the last six races about, is showing that 
he's going to be the guy to beat no matter how good Joe Gibbs Racing has been. He's ahead of Daniel Suarez. He's ahead of Eric Jones in the points battle. And he is actually doing what you need to do to win a championship in a regular season. And I think put him in the three-race increments down there. I think Elliot Sadler is a force to be reckoned with going for the Xfinity first-time chase. It was nice to see that Joe Gibbs, always competitive, though. But it was nice to see Kyle Busch, first of all, not in the Xfinity race. But it was nice to see Kyle Busch not win. It was nice to see Gibbs not win. It was nice to see Junior coming through. They've been having strong runs between Justin Allgaier and um, Elliott Sandler. Sandler. The funny part is the all-star car has not been doing well. And that's what surprised me at Junior Motorsports. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It's been struggling. And, you know, and I agree with you to an extent. I think Junior Motorsports has really hit on something here. And maybe these last uh, ten races down the stretch here in this chase, this will really help this team because they need it. They need it to, they need to gain on, on Joe Gibbs Racing. No doubt about it, Joe Gibbs Racing has been uh, phenomenal in the Xfinity Series. You can say a lot of it's college, and that's true. But, you know, we've seen Jones. Jones has got three wins. Yeah, he hasn't had the consistency that you'd like to see, but three wins for him is great. Suarez won a race this year as well. Uh, a couple other guys have won in that car as well. So, yeah, no, it, it it was great to see Junior Motorsports go out there and compete. Uh, real quick, as far as Chase concerned there, if you're concerned about the Chase in the Xfinity Series, nothing really to be concerned about. Dakota Armstrong's 18 points behind Ryan Sieg right now in the Chase. Armstrong hasn't had a great year in that 28 car. Uh, Sieg's had a pretty decent year. I find that unless he blows a right front tire early in that race uh, and can't get back out, I find it hard to believe that Dakota Armstrong will get into the chase. Uh, there's not a chance that car will win on Saturday as well. So, um, yeah, I think the 12 chasers that we see currently in the Xfinity Series are the 12 chasers we'll see uh, as we get into Chicagoland. Okay. I know you all have been waiting for this because this has been a very, very controversial, very talked-about comment uh, topic here through social media, and through everything that you that you hear, even on, on, on NASCAR radio and all that kind of stuff. So let's get down to it. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park this weekend. Uh, it ended up with a John Hunter Nemechek win. John Hunter Nemechek and Cole Custer were running uh, close to each other. They were in the closing stages. They were getting close to each other, and Nemechek bumped Custer in the final turn, bumped him again, and then the two made contact to the point where it pushed Cole Custer's truck into the inside wall, and Nemechek and Custer rode the inside wall uh, to the start-finish line with Nemechek coming out in to- on top. Um, John, I thought it was a ridiculous finish to what could have been a great finish. I had no problems with what John Hunter Nemechek did until the wall incident. I thought bumping him, bumping him once or twice, that was expected. You know, it's a final corner. They're going to be slow. You figure, well, he's going to try and, and, and get him a little bit loose and get by him. That was expected, but, you know, I know John Hunter's made some uh, comments this weekend about how the truck got loose and all that kind of stuff. I disagree with him. I think he totally did it on purpose. I think he did everything he had to do to win that race, and I didn't like the way it ended. I thought it was a a terrible job by a kid who, listen, I think John Hunter Nemechek's got a lot of talent. I think he's a smart kid. I think he's a great kid, but I think it was a very bad judgment call by John Hunter Nemechek. I think it's something that's going to cost him in the chase. I don't think Cole, I think Cole Custer is going to do everything in his power possible to make sure that a truck does not win a championship. Um, 
I thought it was an absolute uh, a bad move by John Hunter Nemechek, something that a young kid did that five years, ten years down the road, he's going to look back at that run, and he's going to sit there and he's going to say, you know what, I probably should have not done that. That looks awful, because that's what it looked like. And, and the announcers in the booths were correct. Phil Parsons and Michael Walter were appalled, and I agreed with them. I thought it was awful. Um, you know, I have a problem with it there because of the fact that, you know, NASCAR has this mentality of winner take all almost, and that's good to an extent, but there has to be a line drawn. And I felt that of anything I've seen in recent years, as far as a win is concerned, that this finish on Sunday afternoon was about as close to the line as you can get. And I think NASCAR, they took a while to declare the winner. I think NASCAR seriously considered taking the win away from John Hunter Nemechek. And Donna, John Harlow, I think they probably should have. I thought it was an, an, a totally – that's not racing to me when you put somebody in the wall and, uh, you know, keep them into the wall. That's not racing to me. It could have been done a lot better. Nemechek's a better kid than that. He's a better driver than that. And I thought it was a really, really bad move on Sunday afternoon. That's my opinion on John Hunter Nemechek thing. Well, and and the worst part is he hasn't even, the whole time, even talking on Race Hub and um, NASCAR America this week, He's not apologized. He's continued with the, well, he would have done that to me. I have yet to see Cole Custer put somebody into the wall like that. The bumping at the last couple turns, that's expected. But he came to the last turn and turned left. He didn't even try to drive by him. He turned left into him, hit him right behind the right front wheel well, and drove him into the wall, didn't come off of him. He continued to drive him into the wall, considering he saw that he was in front. So he figured, okay, I'll keep pitching him in the wall. We'll go both gas it up, and I'll have to cross first. I think it was the dirtiest piece of racing I've seen since, well, it's probably – hand-in-hand with Kyle Busch, Ron Hornaday at Texas Motor Speedway years ago, the one that Kyle Busch got sat for, and Eminem took themselves off the 18 car. I -hmm. think Joe Nemechek should be embarrassed because he did bring John Hunter up better than this. Joe Nemechek would not have pulled that move. I think NASCAR should have parked John Hunter Nemechek for this week because they've done it to other people. The only thing that would have been, I mean, the two things that I come out of it, I think Cole Custer was probably a good junior high football player because he did say, <laughs> I played junior high football. He made a nice form tackle, even though John Hunter ducked in the middle of it. He still wound up getting the tackle done. Nice play, three-yard loss. It was good. The only thing that would have been better was in the middle of saying how um, – that Cole Custer would have hit me the same way that when John Hunter Nemechek was talking to the media. The only thing that would have been priceless was if he would have said this was a quintessential NASCAR moment. <laughs> that would have made my day. And that, I mean, Lee and Virginia and I were chatting about it earlier in the week, and he said that, and I think that was just one of the most priceless things I've heard. If John Hunter would have said quintessential NASCAR moment, I can promise you, if Cole Custer does not win at Chicagoland in two weeks, 
John Hunter Nemechek will not win the championship. John Hunter no Nemechek will not see the second round of the championship, and we'll be talking Joey Logano, Matt Kenseth, the same way with Cole Custer and John Hunter Nemechek. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. NASCAR can only blame themselves for it. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join here on Talking in Circles, and I agree to an extent. I mean, I, I think what what uh, what Cobbush did Hornaday Day was a, a different. It was a different thing. Uh, I thought pushing him into the wall it was very dangerous. What what? Uh, not that this wasn't, but it, it's a different scenario in my opinion. But uh, listen, as far as a win is concerned, I haven't seen somebody do this for a win in a long, long time. I thought it was. Uh, it was coward. It was very cowardish. And uh, I, again, I just think John Hunter Nemechek is better than this. And to me, if you're okay with this as a winner, if you're okay with this thing as a win, um, you have to sit there and wonder where is the line, and do you ever want to see a win taken away from a driver? Because to me, if you're okay with that, then you're okay with anything happening for the win. We have a caller here, John. Uh, again, if you want to join the call, nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the show, you're on Talking in Circles. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to talk about today? I think this is an interesting topic, the John Hunter Nemechek thing. And, you know, there's a lot of ways you can take it. And I think last year, or you know, when the Matt Kenseth and Joey Liano thing happened and, and the, the CEO of this sport made the, made a, made the biggest mistake he's made since, you know, taking the Southern 500 away from Labor Day weekend and saying the quintessential NASCAR, and this is what's going to happen. This is what, you know, now your young drivers think that, that pulling a move like that is okay because it's quintessential, quintessential NASCAR. And, listen, John Hunter Nemechek did everything he needed to do to win that race. I appreciate that in a competitor. I think that's great in a competitor, but there needs to be a line in this sport. And what happened there on, on Sunday was not a, a move that I lost a lot of respect for. I, you know, and, and listen, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a couple of different ways you can look at it, where if you're one of those fans who grew up idolizing Dale Earnhardt who, was in this sport and, and think that, you know, it's okay to be dirty racing, then that's fine. But I was never one of those fans. And I, I think, you know, there is an extent where, you know, like you guys said, and I agree with you 100% on this, the first two incidents of contact I was okay with because it's a road course, it's very narrow, there's not a lot of passing lanes. Trying to pass somebody has been was very difficult all day. So trying to get underneath them and be able to just be even with them and let the best man win on a straightaway, I understand that's called racing. What he did there was not racing, and, and, you know, there has to be a line drawn somewhere. And I think with this quintessential NASCAR quote last year, there there is no line. And and if you're not going to yeah. penalize John Hunter Nemechek, what are you going to penalize somebody for? And, and I think anybody can do anything now. I think Jim Noble said it on Monday. You could take a hammer and bash the other driver in the head, and they probably won't penalize you at this point because you're doing everything it takes to win. They're just There needs to be a line, and we don't have one. And, you know, you're going to create turmoil, and that's what we were so upset about last year. That's what everybody was so upset about last year when Brian France said quintessential NASCAR with that Joey Logano move where we said, you know what, there needs to be a line here, and you just can't allow this to happen because you're opening up a bad precedent for your sport, and this is exactly what it's showing here here this weekend. And not only that, winning is more important than it's ever been because of the fact of how our points system and our championship system is, is set up now. Um, you know, if this was 15, 20 years ago where we had a, a situation, I think people could 
swallow a little bit more and say, you know what? Um, and this is something NASCAR wants to see. They want to see the winners go out and do everything they possibly can. But again, I agree with you, Lee. I think there needs there's a line that needs to be drawn here. And again, I, I've said this, and, and, and you, you just touched on it before. There's nothing that I don't think there's anything now that you can penalize a, a, a driver for, short of maybe taking lug nuts off a of pit off of trucks on pit road to try and win the race. Other than that, um, I don't think there's anything you can do to penalize these these this, this, these drivers if they're going for a win because if they can say, well, I was going for the win, it's like, okay, that's fine because you know, again, if that's for if that's for fifth. If that's a if that's a spot for fifth, does he get penalized? It's a good question, you know. So, um, who knows? You know, I I don't know that answer, but I thought it was telling John Harlow that NASCAR took about I'd say a good five minutes, maybe seven to eight minutes, to declare the winner of that race after the finish because they really weren't sure. I don't think they I think they kind of maybe even called into Darlington, South Carolina, where France and Steve O'Donnell and all the big guys were because it was a non-companion race, might even call down to Darlington, South Carolina, and said, hey, how do we do this? What do we do here? Do you want to take the win away? Because this was absurd what happened here. And I think NASCAR ultimately did the decision that would get um, less publicity. If they took the win away, it would have been it would have caused an absolute uproar from everybody in the garage area because they've never done that before. But maybe it's about time they start, they should, they start to do that, John Harlow. Well, I think you're right. I think part of it, there was a call down to O'Donnell and Mike Helton and uh, Brian France to find out whether or not they could go as far as they were thinking about going. I don't think it was really crossing the minds of the people in Canada because they were just trying to find... The one thing that was funny is they were so far out of the thing, they didn't cross a timing loop. So the third-place truck actually showed the winner because they were off the track. There's no timing loops in the grass up against the wall. Who would have thought that? Um, but if you, I mean, the one that gets me when it comes to this is Cole Custer. His chase was shot right there. If John Hunter Nemechek doesn't go dirty on him, if John Hunter Nemechek doesn't do the ultimate sin of putting him intentionally in the wall, riding him into the wall, and making sure he doesn't win, Cole Custer's in the chase. It's not even debatable anymore. He's the seventh winner, and he will line up at Loudon as one of the eight trucks going for the first chase championship. I'm surprised... he his I'm surprised his people only let him tackle him and not get four or five shots in. I would have let him go if I was part of his team because that team lost their chase shot right there because that kid was greedy. That kid didn't know the difference between right and wrong because the Brian France quintessential NASCAR, and I love the email back and forth Lee, Lee and Virginia and I had a couple week, or a couple nights ago about that. that I mean I love quoting Lee and Virginia with the quintessential NASCAR moment and it would have been priceless if Joe, John Hunter Nemechek would have used it in his press conference. But I I mean to this day I still think John Hunter Nemechek needs to sit a week. They need to park him the same way they did Kyle Busch for intentionally taking out Ron Hornaday under yellow. John Hunter Nemechek intentionally changed 
the impact of the race the same way Matt Kenseth was parked for hitting Joey Logano. He changed the impact of the race because Cole Custer was going to be your winner. Cole Custer did nothing wrong to lose that yeah. race. Yeah, and I'll say this much. You know, I have a problem with, honestly, this is might be talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I wasn't thrilled with what Custer did at the end of that race. Here's the thing. I think he should have been fined. Um, I think absolutely he should have, Custer should have been fined. Even five grand, you know what? At least you make it a point, because I don't think it's okay for somebody to be tackling somebody, even if you're not very happy with how things went down. And the fact that Ryan Blaney got fined $1,000 for not wearing gloves on a Saturday practice session, and Cole Custer tackles John Hunter Nemechek and doesn't get any fine, it, it makes you almost, it's almost comical. It really is. But, uh, we, you know, you, you brought up a lot of great points there about this whole truck incident. Um, do you think Nemechek should have been sitting a week? Uh, and what about Cole Custer? Do you think he should have been maybe fined? And were you surprised you didn't see any penalties out of these two this week? I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, anybody who's a fan of the movie Happy Gilmore like me, when when uh, they bring Happy Gilmore in after he fights Bob Barker and they sit him down and, and shoot him a Gavin wants, uh, you know, Happy kicked off the tour. And Doug, who's the head of the tour, just suspends him. And he says, we thought that was a little much because our ratings were the highest that we ever had. I've always joked and said, oh, look, NASCAR, because that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, th- this led sports center, Cole Custer and the John Hunter Nemechek fight on, on Sunday night, was the, was one of the lead stories on Sports Center, and you know I I used to be a guy that I always said I care so much about the um, I care very much about about the competitiveness of this sport and how much people look at it and, and that it's not looked at as as sort of a joke, but at the same time sports in general have become such a such a joke anymore that I'm almost okay with it leading the way on Sports Center, and I'm almost I'm almost okay with 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 those guys not getting fined. Um, do I think John Hunter Nemechek needs needs to be parked? No, because I think it's okay that, um, you know, the drivers can police themselves. Would I have taken the win away? Well, you're setting. The thing is, you're you have to if you're going to do that, you're going to have to set draw a line in the sand and say, okay, what's okay and what's not. And I know they did that to Ricky Rudd 26 years ago. That was the wrong move because they haven't made that they haven't made that call since. That was the wrong call that day at Sonoma. I understand Ricky Rudd, that was a dirty move what he did to Davey Allison, but that's part of the sport. And you've got to let your guys police themselves. Um, I think you're going to see that on Sunday. But, John, one of the things that you said that, that I disagree with wholeheartedly is saying that this cost Cole Custer's chase. Uh, the 22nd place finish at Michigan may have cost Cole Custer's chase. The 15th place finish and the 14th place finish at Gateway. The 14th place finish at Texas and the 13th place finish at Charlotte. This junior motorsports team has had a terrible car on the a terrible truck, excuse me, on the intermediates all year long. That's what's called Cole Custer this chase. He could have easily gotten his way in on points. And you got to remember, this is a team with an Xfinity Series backing, total backing from Haas Automation, which is a Cup team. And you know they're ninth in points right now. They don't have enough points to be able to make their way in, and that's basically on them. You got to understand. I understand that you know the win was taken away, but he still finished second, so it was still a very good points day for him. And I think what what has cost Cole Custer to chase here is not necessarily what John Hunter Nemechek did to him, but the way they've run all season long. I agree with yeah, you. I mean, they yeah. haven't had the greatest season all year long with points finishes. And, again, Cole Custer, this is his first year as a full-time driver. So part of it is 
the learning mistakes. Part of it is Junior Motorsports' first time year as a truck team. But the other, where I see it again, if Denny Hamlin, I mean, you look when Tony Stewart and Denny Hamlin came around the last turn at Sonoma. They bumped and, I mean, Tony used all four wheels of him, and there was a difference between that one. I mean, they did hit each other, but they both weren't, nobody was ramming each other into the wall and holding them there. If John Hunter Nemechek pushes Custer into the wall, because they're coming off the last turn, I'm okay with that. It was when he turned the truck to drive him into the wall and kept blocking him. That's where I have the problem. It wasn't that John Hunter Nemechek was going straight and Cole Custer was going straight and they were off there. John Hunter Nemechek was at a almost a 45-degree angle pinning that truck so he couldn't beat him. That's not racing. I, I mean, that's what bothers me. I mean, Cole Custer, yeah, his team didn't have the greatest year, but they're that close. They were right there. They were a couple thousand feet away from the chase. That and, is where and, Cole Custer's chase went away, even though they didn't have the greatest year. But that's the thing. You win and you're in. And they win it, that one race if John Hunter Dimacek wasn't a D-bag about it. Now I'm Seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here on Talking in Circles. If you want to join the conversation, that is the number to get in touch with me and John Harlow here on Talking in Circles. It's an interesting topic because you're right, Lee. You know, you have to draw a line in the sand, but they've done that in the past with with boys have had it with several other things as well. You know, with Matt Kenseth's situation, the the Cobbler situation. So maybe it's time that they do that with the win situation. And but the problem is, and this is where they PR is a big thing in this sport where I think NASCAR might have looked at it and said, you know what, we don't want to have every finish that's controversial come under this little, well, well, they take the win away because we we do. But, again, you have to wonder how these teams are going to race coming down to the, coming down to it. Uh, if I'm a, a team and I saw that and I'm in second place and I said, well, they're not going to take the win away from me if I, if I completely do what absolutely is 100% necessary to do, um, they're not going to take the win away. It just makes you wonder how many finishes we're going to see uh, later on in the year from that. Lee, uh, appreciate the call, bud. You're welcome on any time to do a lot for the show. We appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll hear we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Lee. That was Lee in Virginia. Again, 917-889-8280. If you want to join the conversation, talk to me and John Harlow here on Talking in Circles. John, some interesting stuff going on here uh, with Brian Clawson. Brian Clawson, a, a guy who um, obviously lost his life about a month ago, um, and it now, you know, he was an organ donor. There was a lot of um, publicity about the fact that he gave his organs, and his w- fiance and his family encouraged him to encourage people to uh, donate their organs, and it's it's turned out to be a great story. Uh, IndyStar.com had an article about it. Uh, what do you want to say about Brian Clawson and, and, and how many lives that these organ donations and, and what these organ donations have done uh, for everybody, really? Well, if you think about it, Brian Clawson saved five lives because he was an organ donor. And the other part that really helped the family out is being an organ donor, they kept him on life support longer 
and gave the family the time to say goodbye. And his girlfriend, his fiance, and the family decided, since Brian was chasing 200 races, let's chase getting 200 people to pledge to be organ donors. And less than two weeks after he died, at his uh, memorial service, 750 had already signed up. They were hoping for 200. So they said, okay, let's boost it up. We'll go for 2,000. And as of Tuesday, one month from his death, 3,761 people have pledged to be organ donors through Brian Clausen's registration website. So if you think about it, five people were saved by Brian Clausen being an organ donor. If that five, if five people are saved for every person who signed up for the organ donations, 18,800 lives will be saved because somebody decided that it would be time, if whenever their time came, they wanted to give an organ to help somebody else. I think it is, we've had a lot of tragedy in sports. I loved watching Jason Leffler. I was a huge Davey Allison fan. I Dale Earnhardt Sr., we've had the the tragedies in our sport. And I think the two biggest things that have come from our tra- or three biggest things that have come from our tragedies is the safety improvements in the sport, the Victory Junction Gang Camp in Randleman, North Carolina that the Petties have put together, and I think the third thing that's come out of it is the organ donor cause that Brian Clausen's fiance and family started up. If 18,000 lives are saved because of the awareness of one sprint car racer, one short track dirt racer lost his life, but 18,800 other lives could be saved because they happened to find out in his wallet he was an organ donor and they decided, let's do this. Let's not let Brian's life be lost. Let's do something in his name. What a honorable, admirable, admirable, and amazing thing that was done. Yeah, and I tell you something that you, know, you have to sit there and wonder if it's uh, if it was done. Um, you know, he's done more since his death, really. You know, because of the organ donations that he's done. Uh, you know, even with his life, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people can say. And it's it's a great thing, and that that just shows you the kind of person you were and the kind of uh, impact you can have on somebody at, when, after you die that you can have that big of an impact on life and in society than uh, anything. I think it's great to see that. I think it's great to see the racing community and it just shows you what kind of family the racing community is. It's great to see how big everybody uh, supports one another in this in this racing community. Uh, you know, we might disagree with a lot of things and might disagree with a lot of topics, but, you know, when it comes down to it, we're all one big family there. And uh, it just shows you that, and I think that's a great thing. And I appreciate I you bringing that up on cool- the show. Go I ahead. think one of the coolest things, that, uh, back when Steve Burns, we lost him last year, when Steve O'Donnell put it on his Twitter page, is there's a number to start your life, there's a number to end your life, it's the dash that is your life, and what you do with that dash is something special, and you have control of it. Brian Clawson has a number to end his life, but he's got another dash afterward with what he's done after he lost his life and what his family has continued in his name. Um, I loved watching him run. He was a heck of a race car driver, but it's unbelievable that 
18,800 people could live because people have decided to sign up to be organ donors whenever they lose their lives. And being an organ donor myself, I mean, it's something I completely encourage and hope everybody does. Um, go to Google Brian Clausen, the website's there, and sign up to be an organ donor. Sure, it's a great cause, no doubt about it. Uh, something we didn't touch on last week, John, that I want to get your opinion on that really happened after our show last week um, was the fact that Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s announcement. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has announced he is out of the number 88 car for the remainder of the 2016 NASCAR Spring Cup Series season. It sounds like he wants to come back for 2017. Um, and, you know, all signs point towards that probably might happen. They said, you know, he'll be running really good. It's funny that they did it week by week uh, increments here. I think personally he really wanted to run a great ghost car, and when that op- opportunity uh, fell, out, fell by the wayside, he said, you know what, I'll miss the rest of the year and kind of get prepared and get my body and my brain healthy for 2017. Um, so two years out, out of the car for the rest of the year. Uh, Alex Bowman's going to be in the car for 10 of the remaining 12 races. Jeff Gordon's going to run this weekend at Richmond, and then he's going to run Dover, but it's Alex Bowman the rest of the way in the 88 car for Hendrick Motorsports. Um, that, and that's cool to see because Bowman, you know, he did great. At Michigan, he was doing well at New Hampshire before issues kind of took him out of that race. So it'll be interesting to see Bowman here with eight races under his belt to see how he can do, and hopefully that may maybe even get him a ride in the Sprint Cup Series. Uh, but what are your thoughts here on Dale Earnhardt Jr. missing the remainder of the 2016 season? Should Junior Nation be a little bit worried here? Do you think it's a cause for concern? Uh, what are your thoughts here uh, about Dale Earnhardt Jr. missing the rest of the year? Well, I think um, this is something we pretty much guessed four or five weeks ago, that when they brought Jeff Gordon back out of retirement, it wasn't going to be a couple-race deal. And the other part that came out of it is there were two parts that I really took from Junior's press conference down at Darlington. When Junior said he has no business being in a car right now, this is eight weeks in from the first first sign of the first wreck where they think it happened the first they think it happened the first Michigan race. So here we are, that was in June, so here we are in September, a couple months to the fact afterwards and he's saying he has no business in a car. Second thing is if Junior wanted to get in the car today, he can't because he has not been medically cleared. And they said he won't be medically cleared till the end of the year. I mean, they could have, he could be going through and doing everything and continuing his rehab, and come Talladega, they say, okay, you're good, but he's not taking the chance. And I think it's a smart move on Junior's part. The other part we talked about a couple weeks ago is when um, Booty Barker said, hey, it might be, this might be it, because Junior's got more money than God, he's got his uh, team. He got all the endorsements. Kelly's invested everything great. He doesn't have to worry about anything the rest of his life. Plus, he's getting married soon. Wants to have kids. Why take that risk? I think the only thing that probably is keeping him wanting it, well, there's two things probably. He wants to win a championship because his dad won seven. He was supposed to be the next big thing. He's won a bunch of races, but he has not won a championship. And the second thing I think is pushing him back into the car is I think the sponsorship 
of nationwide exalt uh, everything is tied to Dale Jr., not the 88 car. And I think it would put Rick Hendrick in a huge bind next year if Junior can't come back and has to retire. I think that's part of the reason why Jeff Gordon came back too, because I don't, I, you know, no disrespect to Alex Bowman, but Alex Bowman isn't nearly as big as a name as Jeff Gordon. It's not even close. And I think the sponsors were okay with Junior missing a few races here, and they said, well, we'll get you Jeff Gordon. And it's like, well, I mean, everybody knows who Jeff Gordon is. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and it was unfortunate for Bowman that was the way it happened because Bowman, I think, deserved an opportunity to drive the 88 car. And I think that's why we saw Jeff, but I think that's why, honestly, we saw Jeff Gordon in the car. I don't know if Junior cares about the sponsorships or not. I know his contract runs through the 2017 season. I think it's more to do with what you said. Championship, I think he's in the, be- he's in the best ride he's ever been in at Hendrick Motorsports. I think that's got a lot to do with it. Um, and I do think he still wants to race. I think there's some weekends where, you know, maybe some of these older guys are starting to get to a point where maybe, you know, uh, a race at, I don't know, Kansas might not be as fun as it once was. Um, but I do think he wants to race. I think he still likes the short tracks, especially. I think he loves super speedways because he's still very good there. But I think this is the best move for him. I was, I said this earlier to a few people. I think this is the best move for his career. I think to sit there and say, you know what, why risk an injury going back here for six races? Let's say he comes back at Martinsville and he gets hurt at, uh, you know, gets a head injury again at Texas and he has to miss these races and then he's kind of back at square one. And then you're sitting there going, well, will this, will this affect February? Will this affect the Daytona 500? How, you know what, sit out the rest of the year, get, get everything okay with you, take a bunch of months off here, get that brain fully healthy and ready and start fresh in 2017 and pretend like, you know, the end of 2016 didn't happen and get going and try and win that championship. I think it was the best move for him. I think it was a smart move by him uh, because, again, if you weren't going to try and run for this championship, there was no point to it, then there's really no point in running the last 10. Um, I'm not sure NASCAR is great, feels great about that because I think their ratings have kind of taken a hit a little bit. I think they're missing Dale Earnhardt Jr. a little bit, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Real quick, John, final two minutes of the show. What do you expect to see this weekend at Richmond? A lot of there's been a lot of talk about this race that it hasn't been very good as far as uh, racing goes. I think a lot of people want to see these races come back to the daytime. Um, but what do you expect to see here this weekend at Richmond? I think one of the things where Richmond does have a problem is the racing during the day has been much better. The problem is they're running Friday night and Saturday night. All the practice is Friday morning and early Friday afternoon. They are not practicing in anywhere near the conditions they're running. So basically you're running laps just to run laps. You have no clue whether this is going to translate tonight. So they're practicing in a condition they're not going to run in. I think Richmond is a great racetrack. I think they need to go through again because I think they ran a sealer on the low groove at one point and it's worn off. I think they need to go back through and do like they did at Bristol, put the goop down and see if they can get the high and low groove going again and get passing going again at Richmond. But Richmond is a great race to watch. It's one of the best places to see a race in person. But I, I think you're going to have the same people up front, your Harvicks, your Kyle Bushes, And I think if there's going to be an upset this week, it's going to be smoke because this is the first race he won 15 years ago. It'd be really nice to see him get his 50th win at the place he got his first, and it's his favorite track on the circuit. So that would be my upset pick if there's anybody. But it's going to be Harvick, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski. They're your normal suspects up front, so you, they're the ones you're going to watch out for. 
I agree with the second part for sure. I definitely think those are the guys. The normal people we see up front will be up there trying to gain momentum for the chase. I think that's all you got to do. Uh, it would have been interesting to see what Newman could have done if he was closer to McMurray, um, but I don't think obviously I don't think it's going to happen now with the penalty. I want to thank Lee from Virginia. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. We'll see you next week here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. <laughs>